Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my next six-month leadership programme will start in January 2024. If you would like to be part of this transformational experience, you can find all the information you need on the Dive Deep Climb High website. As the previous delegate said, this course is a must for anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into higher education in the United States and some of the challenges facing the sector. My guest is an award-winning communications professional, magazine editor and writer. She is currently the executive editor of the Education Group at ETC Network, publishers of District Administration and University Business, specialising in guiding and empowering educators and academic decision makers across the country in higher education. They do this through their newsletters, websites, magazines, summits and conferences. With an energy that is guaranteed to light up the airways, Please welcome the wonderful Laurie Capullo. Hello. Hello, Mel. Hello. Good morning from here. I know it's not morning there, but good morning. Good afternoon from England. (laughs) This is going to be such an interesting conversation because in the UK, I really feel that we look to the US to take our learning, our direction. And so I'm really excited by the conversation that we're going to have. But before we get into the nitty gritty, it would be great to hear a little bit about your own career journey and how you've ended up in this space. Sure. Well, I I can tell you that uh, when I was in college many decades ago, I majored in journalism uh, and I always wanted to work in publishing. I felt like since I was a child, I knew I wanted to write, but I also loved the idea of teaching. Journalism prevailed, but when I graduated and I returned home from school, uh, there were not a lot of career options in the small town of Florida where my parents lived. So ironically enough, I ended up substitute teaching. And I did that for uh, a year, and I actually really loved it. It wasn't higher education, obviously, but I just felt so good in this space. And what I loved about it was being able to be helpful to establish relationships with the students. And, you know, it it becomes very clear when you see the same students every day, what the ones that have issues, the ones that maybe are troubled and the ones that are not. And for me, I felt a, a great passion for them. So I did consider going into teaching full time, but then an opportunity came up for me to work in a magazine that I just couldn't pass up. So that, you know, because there's so much more to school and in particular than higher education, the career preparation, um, other than at home with their families, right? This is where young people are shaped by their experiences with their peers and academics, but also very much by the education 
educators, sorry, and leaders that they, they interact with every day. And I thought about that the whole time that I was in journalism, which I enjoyed, but it was always in my mind that I might want to go back into education in some way. So, you know, even though I was working in the lifestyle sector of the market, I was doing luxury magazines and things like that. And it was lots of fun. We got to interview celebrities and travel and there were all kinds of perks. I was also doing things like mentoring in schools for underserved at-risk young women who um, could earn scholarships by going through the mentoring program. Um, I'm still doing that 20 years later. And I never really fully let go of the idea of being in education. So once COVID hit and remote learning became the norm and education technology took off, I did really reconsider what I was doing professionally. Um, Education was affected so greatly by COVID, uh, not just in this country, obviously, everywhere. And so um, oddly enough, just like out of the universe, a recruiter (laughs) contacted me to see if I would be amenable to discussing a career with a major education media company taking over university business and district administration, which was not something obviously I had ever done, right? And that that was not the kind of publishing and, and editorial products that I had done. So I was a little afraid. I was thinking to myself, what do I know about this? But then I also thought, well, I'm a fish and I can climb a tree and I can drop this. So that's what I did. And that was two years ago. And I love it so much. And I feel like it's such important work trying to help our leaders who are struggling in every sector of education. And, you know, I'm speaking obviously from the perspective of an American and what I know is going on here. So maybe much of what I see and what I will speak to you about isn't something that you're familiar with in the UK, I'm not sure. But uh, here, education is in the news pretty much all day, every day, and all the things that are affecting it in our country. So I absolutely love what I'm doing. And every day is a new challenge because every day it's, you know, it's not the same as doing just entertaining journalism. This is real, powerful stuff. And that's how I'm here. and, And I absolutely love it. Hey, what an interesting journey. You started out in one place and never knowing that that would bring you sort of full circle to be able to do what you're doing now. I had thought about for, for so long and, and also I'm not a spring chicken. So, you know, wasn't really sure it would ever happen, but I'm thrilled that it did. So interesting. And it will be interesting to explore because today's conversation is going to be around the challenges that are facing you in the US. Lots of which... I suspect are very similar to the challenges that are facing higher education here in the UK, but maybe not. But there will still be lessons that we can learn from that as leaders Mm -hmm. in this space. So so what for you are the key challenges that leaders in higher education are facing? What, What are the challenges of the sector? Well, here in the United States, we're dealing with some ongoing concerns that are attributed to a variety of sources, not the least of which is government. Yeah. <laughs> There's the issue of affordability and accessibility for students, um, student loan debt, our president coming up with a plan to forgive the debt, the reversal of that plan, um, people thinking that they didn't have to pay the loans back and then spending the money and then whoops, yes, you do have to pay the loans back. And that has caused a lot of pain for leaders as well as students and their families because it's infected enrollment and in addition to COVID which you know that was just sort of like on top of it because 
we're losing enrollment all the time. Enrollment declined severely since the pandemic started, almost 10% between spring of 2019 and spring 2023, so over four years. And then even after students went returned in person, it hasn't bounced back. The statistics show that it's mostly males who are not opting to go to college. And, you know, what they're doing is they're opting to go and be electricians or technicians or mechanics, you know, uh, engineering technologists. There are jobs that pay a lot of money or good money. And they feel like, well, I don't want to go into debt for student loans. I'll just go do this. So there's a challenge for higher ed leaders now to make potential students feel like they're going to get the return on their investment and that it is worth the cost. But, you know, of our Bureau of Labor Statistics, they show the drop in college attendance in the United States for the past five years as the steepest ever. So that's huge because, as we know, enrollment is very important to our schools. So, you know, pain is multifold. It, it affects the economy. It affects the health of the schools. University business, over the last couple of years, we've reported on many colleges that have had to partner with other colleges or merge with colleges that were suffering financially to try to you know, keep them going and incentivize students. And some of them, they've been successful and others just couldn't make it and have had to close. And some after many, many years, which is very sad. Hmm. Um, Some already had students, you know, student bodies who went to school and found out the colleges were closing and that they had to go home and they didn't even know what they were going to do. I mean, can you think of a worst case scenario? (laughs) Anything worse than that, you know, for a, a student body and for a school? And, you know, this generation knows more about finances and investing, and they're learning it more at a younger and younger age. And they're looking at the costs because a lot of them don't have parents who are going to pay for it. They have to pay for it themselves. So unless they're set on a career in law, medicine, or something that absolutely requires a degree, a lot of them are choosing not to go. And so, of course, that's a huge problem for higher ed leaders. Mm. You know, they have a PR problem (laughs) and they also have a financial problem. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that is the major issue that we are facing right now. And how is the sector responding to that? What are you seeing that the colleges are doing? We talk to university presidents all the time and we talk to their communications offices and they acknowledge that the communications with families and with the public are not always that good. And I don't want to use the word not transparent because that's not what they're saying. But there is a transparency issue. There are problems with that. And so they're working on what they can do. And it's funny because I don't know if you're familiar with the U.S. News and World Report rankings that a lot of people count on, you know, to look at every year and see who's the best public university, who's the best private university and why and all of that. Mm. Well, there was a big backlash against that here last year where a lot of schools, including Harvard and like a lot of the Ivy Leagues, decided they were going to opt out of that. They didn't want anything to do with it because they didn't think that they were done fairly, that kind of thing. But those are still happening and they did ended up not opting out. We just did a story the other day about like, well, why did they decide to stay in? They need PR. They need people to see that they're still up there in the top 10. I mean, it's all over the news and social media when a school does do well. So they can say, we don't want to be part of this ranking. But then as soon as they're in the top 10 again or the top three, here we are. You know, they need something. And, you know, they're also fa- we're also facing in this country a real problem we didn't have, I would say, even five years ago, which is 
you know, universities are known as places where the students can go and express themselves. They can protest, they can go out and speak publicly about things and they can interact with their peers and talk about issues that they really care about. And we've had a freedom of speech problem in this country for the last few years in terms of, I'm sure you, you see it in the news, but you know, now people are afraid to say things. There's a real fear that they can lose their jobs, that they can be kicked out, you know, that kind of thing. So that's another thing. That's not what universities are known for anymore here. I remember when I was in school, which was many, many years ago, 35 years ago, I graduated from college. But I just remember loving walking down the main street on campus where we had this big square and everybody would be out there with their megaphones and their signs. And, you know, it was a place where you could go and really what you were passionate about, talk about issues, talk about government. Like it isn't the same now. And, um, you know, that's another issue that I'm not really sure how, and I don't think a lot of leaders we speak to are sure how we're going to solve because we have such a huge bipartisan divide now that we never had. Well, I won't say we never had, but to this extent, you know, it's very divided right now. And, um, you know, it feels like it's just getting more that way. And so, you know, it's just distressing. It's so interesting because the picture that you were painting there, and it's what we say about higher education in the UK, is that they are there for the education, but they are also there for the personal growth and development oh, and yeah. to figure out who they are and where they fit in the world and what they want to do and it's making me curious as to whether we are in the same place here in the UK in terms of it feels like we're sort of what you're describing is that we're putting the handcuffs on and we're sort of dampening down that spirit and I'm sort of reflecting as we're talking thinking is that the same here and my sense is it isn't but I'm not 100% sure, but are we on that path where we can get that? So within all the, the universities and the presidents that you talk to and the contacts, is there somebody or is there an organisation or an institution that is bucking the trend or doing something a little bit different that is creating a slightly different atmosphere? Well, I would say they are trying. You know, when we do speak to, and we, you know, to get a university president to talk to you isn't always the easiest thing, but I think they know when we are calling them to try to get the information, what are you doing? Because the whole reason university business exists is to try to help look at what the issues are. And like, we speak to these people and we ask them, do they find any solutions that we can share with other university presidents? Now, there are, I think, 4,000, 4,400 colleges and universities across the United States. They are not all the same size. They are not all in the same kind of political climate. They're not all in this, you know, some are conservative, some are very liberals. You know, it's just very different. No, you know, they're not all the same. So you can't really apply the same tactics and, and strategies to all of them. But I do think that what we're hearing over and over again is the importance of communication and interaction with the students and communication with the families, because that makes a big difference. For me, the people I remember from college, the leaders that I remember are the ones who engaged with us, right? The ones who stood on a stage and I mean, you're paying for college. They don't call your parents if you don't show up and you fail, you just fail. You know, it's not like K-12 where they're holding your hand. So 
the ones that help you optimize your experience there, who help you when you have problems with, you know, like the advisors and the, you know, the, the way that it, the culture is there so that the students feel they are a part of things. Um, you know, the president is the one who sets that tone. And I feel like what we're hearing from them is that's what they are looking at now is really trying to make sure the communications are better and that they know that, you know, students feel comfortable and welcome and a part of the community there. Because it was very easy not to feel that way when you were remote learning. And I mean, three years ago is really when COVID was started and it lasted. And, you know, we still have some COVID issues, right? But not like we did when the pandemic started. But it it, it really, it wasn't something that started and stopped. All the issues that came with it are still there. And the other thing that presidents are trying to figure out is how do we mitigate the damage that we're still feeling from people who were isolated and working at home. And also they started working remotely. You know, um, I know my son was in college. He was supposed to graduate in 2020. <laughs> the graduation was canceled. He did graduate, but he came home and he couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So he got an online job and, uh, you know, he ended up going off and moving away and working in finance. But he still says to me, I don't want to drive to the office every day. I like working at home, you know, so a lot of people got the mindset that they still want to work on their own time at home. And the job then becomes for presidents, they want them on campus. You know, how do we put it out there that you can't study abroad when you're just studying, doing it online. You know, you want to study abroad and, and you want those experiences of like doing research with a with a professor on campus and doing a thesis with someone and working in study groups and all of that kind of thing. I mean, for me, I remember that that was the mo one of the most amazing parts of school, right? So if they're not getting that, that's a problem for the universities. They need to make them understand it's not all just about getting a job and, and getting a really good hourly wage doing something that you don't need a degree for, but there's more to college. There's more to it. It's a total experience. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like, I'm still really good friends with the people I was in college with, you know, because we bonded, we grew up together there. You, you really do make your way in the world when you leave and go to college. Uh, you have to learn how to exist. You can still call home and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you have to learn how to exist. So they want them there and they are all figuring it out, you know, or trying to figure it out. And we're trying to put their stories out there to, you know, make sure that people understand that they recognize the problems and they are working on them. But it's not an easy fix. No, it's not. And I think COVID brought the fore some of the issues that were there before that could be sort of mitigated. And as you say, it's dealing with the effects of COVID that the people think COVID's done now and we've moved on from that, but we absolutely haven't. And one of the things that I think that we are seeing in the UK, not just within higher education, but across all different sectors, is the impact on mental health and well-being. That's a huge problem too. I didn't mention that, but it is a major problem. And it's a major problem in general, right? Mental health for all of us. I think COVID sort of made it okay for people to admit they have anxiety. It feels like now people talk so much about mental health and anxiety. So if we as adults are dealing with that, just imagine what students are dealing with, right? They have huge problems. So another thing that we are hearing a lot from presidents is 
an emphasis now on various mental health services for students that they will feel comfortable using so that they don't feel that the stigma, because, you know, when you're older, you may say, I have terrible anxiety or I'm depressed. But when you're younger, sometimes they're embarrassed. There's, you know, that stigma around it, or they feel like that means I'm crazy. And of course it doesn't. Um, but that's just, you know, being a young person. So there are acts that are being not only developed, but used by universities and publicized by them to let kids know, I say kids, um, students, uh, know that those are accessible to them, that there is confidentiality. If they want to speak to people, they're welcome to do so. They want to create a welcome environment for them to deal with their mental health issues. And I mean, how could they not have them? You know, the world is a little nuts right now, right? So there's all kinds of crazy things happening and they're exposed to it more than ever. When I was in college, we didn't have social media and we weren't bombarded by the news of everything that they're getting, climate change, COVID problems. You know, the, the, we have an election year coming up. 2024 is an election year for us, a presidential election year. And I don't have to tell you that's a whole other podcast and a half. <laughs> what that's going to be like. You know, when, when I was that age, I wasn't concerned about, you know, uh, the president. I mean, I did register to vote at 18, but I didn't worry about it like we do now. Right. And I know young people are worried. So, um, you know, that also adds to everything else. So they've got to worry about their tuition and they've got to worry about their grades and they have to worry about their mental health issues because of what's going on around them. They hear constantly about climate change affecting them. And, you know, this is their futures. So uh, it's very important that those higher ed leaders make that experience at school one where they can speak freely. They can talk to people who, you know, can help them through it, that they can feel that in that cohort, there are like-minded souls that they can share with and they want to be there. Yeah. It, I mean, it's an issue facing all of us in very many different ways, not just our professional lives. It is. It, I mean, it's, it's the same in the workforce, right? I mean, HR departments and companies all over the world are dealing with a lot of these issues. And, you know, for me, I always just think about it as these are younger people. So not that it doesn't affect all of us as, you know, whatever age we are, but they're just a little more vulnerable. They don't tend to have the confidence that, you know, how they always say the great thing about getting older is you care a lot less what people think. Well, they're not in that situation and they do care and they worry about their futures and that kind of thing. So it, it is important for us as leaders and, you know, who have been through experiences and realized that the world didn't end and everything was okay. And there are solutions to be had and there are people that can help you through it. It's just important for them to feel that and to know that it's there so that they can concentrate on their education and not, you know, be distracted by all the noise around them that that's worrying them. Mm, absolutely. And almost going from, I would say, two polars, really. We've got what feelings and emotions over here and then artificial intelligence over here. Oh, yes. That's another thing. The list doesn't end. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The artificial intelligence piece of the puzzle. That's a worldwide thing, obviously. 
And it's not just in education. You know, our awareness of it started in our GA space, which is our K-12 space, and how, oh, kids are going to cheat. You know, they can write essays with this. And then, of course, it just kept going. But there are a lot of great uses for AI. And, you know, it just evolves almost daily, the uses that are coming through for it and that kind of thing. I do think it's kind of a very cool thing to be a student in this day and age where this kind of thing is happening. But again, I go back to, I, I think ideally what I would love to see is these students in higher ed being able to actually focus on all the great things that are happening and not have to be mentally distracted by all the other things that are going on. And, you know, I don't know that it's possible, but they do need to have the support. You know, that's what the leaders, I think, need to worry about. And, you know, university presidents have to worry about their bottom lines. They have to worry about fundraising. They have a lot of things to do and goals to meet to be able to keep those jobs. So, you know, this part of it is, it's difficult to be dealing with both at the same time. It's really interesting because I was chatting with a colleague from the sector recently, and we were talking about the fact that actually everything that we do in the university sector is actually about the experiences that those students have and enabling them to grow and develop in the best way. And sometimes we can lose sight of how an action that we might take or a decision that we might take might then impact those students at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're saying here is actually bringing it back to the students and their experience and remembering that they are on the sort of left-hand side of the curve, the growth and development curve. And actually, how can we help them navigate that in, in the best way? Yes, I think it's so important. I have such a place in my heart for younger people. And, you know, I just, I have young staffers, you know, and, um, just watching them come along as they improve in their writing and as they learn more from talking to these professionals in, in education, it just warms my heart. And mentoring and seeing, you know, firsthand with some students who really do have the potential to go to college and don't have the resources or don't have the home support, you know, their parents didn't go or maybe they don't think it's important or maybe they're just working so hard because they need to make ends meet because inflation right now is so terrible that they can't, or they, you know, they just don't, or are not able to focus on that. That's what we're here for. And I think that's advocating for students is so important and putting programs in place. You know, obviously one student, one university president can't make magic, but putting programs in place where, you know, we address all the issues they're dealing with today, it's important and it, and it's effective. It's effective. We've given away so many scholarships over the years to a lot of these girls in this Women of Tomorrow mentorship program that I'm doing. And, you know, what it does to you to see someone who comes in and hangs their head and, you know, doesn't feel free to speak or, you know, doesn't have the confidence to even think about going to college. And then when they get the scholarship and they realize, oh my gosh, you know, I did it and I'm going. And, you know, you just watching them blossom. I mean, that's the journey, right? From your freshman year of college to your to your senior year. And um, it's just really important in the development of the person too. It's not just my career. There's a lot that goes with it. 
you know, I've talked to people who, who didn't go to college and they're like, well, I'm doing fine and I didn't go. And, I, and I'm like, not, not every college isn't for everyone. But if you haven't gone, you don't understand that there's so much more to it than the academics. Mm. And I remember my Russian literature lecture because he was crazy and funny. And that was 35 years ago. And you know what I mean? I had great conversations with him and just little things like that. Those are the leaders, the ones who listen. If you're not listening, you're not leading, right? We've heard that before. And I truly believe that. Brilliant. I love it. Fantastic conversation. <laughs> I knew it would be. You are lighting up the airwaves. There is no <laughs> doubt about that. So when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have? I think that I dive deep. Getting involved in the business to business B2B sector after being in consumer B2C for, oh gosh, 30 years, learning to speak the language of, you know, district and university leaders, which I won't say I'm still fluent, but I'm getting there, gaining an understanding of like what they're facing. And, you know, by the way, those leaders, those aren't nine to five jobs. Those are 24 seven jobs, not for the faint of heart. So I very much respect them. I feel like I dive deep every single day. We are always changing and adding to what we do at University Business. So we're going to be doing, starting in 2024, 25, we're going to be doing summits for university presidents where they come together in a safe space and everybody sort of talks and networks and commiserates and, you know, tries to exchange solutions, that kind of thing. So I am working on that with the director of our leadership institute. She currently does the K-12 events like that. So, you know, that's something I have never done. And so I do a lot of research and question asking <laughs> to find out, you know, I'm on the outside. So to find out what's going on so that I can, if I'm supposed to be serving them up solutions and ideas, then I need to really dive deep and, and find out what solutions and ideas that they want, right? And establish a rapport with them and a safe space where they can feel free to speak and not worry about this is going to go in the press and I'm going to get in trouble. So that's, you know, something that's very important to me. I feel like, and, and I think my staff too, we dive deep every single day and try to follow the ever-changing landscape of education, you know, in the United States. And it is ever-changing. <laughs> it is in the UK as well. And, and as you were describing there, as often happens when I listen to my guests, my imagination goes, but it almost feels like you're diving deep twice. <laughs> you're diving deep into what you're doing and how you're doing it, but you're also having to dive deep into this sector so Absolutely. that you can provide them with the best support and guidance that they need and help them grow and develop. Exactly. Yes, when we have our editorial meetings every day, my head staff writer for university business will tell me, hey, you know, I think we should do this story. And sometimes it'll be a really great story. But I say to him, so what do you think the leaders are going to do with this story? Like, is this something they're thinking about? Is this something they're concerned about? Are they going to care? Because if we're not, we need to serve them. That's what we're doing. It's not a consumer magazine. We're not writing to the students. We're not writing to the professors. So let's think about that. We do every single day that that's our mission. So yeah, you know, we are diving deep every day, but I love it. I mean, if we weren't doing that, we would just be going day to day, churning out content and it's not the same. Yeah, I love that. Continually diving deep to keep growing. Diving, putting on our scuba gear and... <laughs> Fabulous. So you alluded to, right at the beginning, you were a fish climbing a tree when you got your current job. 
Oh, yes. I am a fish climbing attorney. I, I'll tell you my past career, which was a lot of fun. I did a lot of travel writing. I was with an interior design magazine for years, a very successful one and very luxe. I mean, that is the complete opposite of what we are doing here, right? It was enjoyable, but you know, this is a completely different animal. And when I, I remember when I interviewed for it, I wanted it so bad, but I did think to myself, how am I going to do this pivot? It's very different. You know, I, I've been involved in education, but I don't know what these people want to hear or what they want. And really, I just thought, you know, I am not going to walk away from this opportunity because I may have a little bit of doubt, like about what I know, because I can find out, right? That's what a fish who climbs a tree does. They get their confidence. <laughs> and so I just did it. I thought, you know, I've taught my son his whole life. The worst thing you can do is not do something because it makes you nervous or you're, you know, you fear it. And what would it mean if I did that? So I, I did it and I love it. And I'm so glad that I did it. And it's just a learning experience for me every day, but I also get to teach in a way. So it's just really perfect for me and I enjoy it so much. And I just, my goal is that our audience gets what we want them to get out of it. Yeah, that we're delivering what they, you know, what they want. I love that analogy about getting the confidence and doing it anyway, climbing your tree in spite of, of your fear. Love that. We'll take that with mm -hmm. me. Thank you so much. I mean, I knew it was going to be a brilliant conversation and it absolutely has been. It was a lot of fun. How can people get in touch, find out more, subscribe to anything that you do? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can just go to universitybusiness.com, which is our website. There you can sign up for our daily newsletter, which is called UB Daily. Or you can just go ahead and noodle around on the site and read. We have op-eds. We have pieces um, from university presidents. We have pieces from experts all over in education, in law. But then my staff does really great interviews and pieces, how-tos, solutions, that sort of thing. So if you're interested in finding out what's going on in the U.S. and what we're dealing with, that's a really good source for you. Brilliant. And you're on LinkedIn if people want to contact you. I am on LinkedIn. I am on there as Lori Capullo. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving up your time and coming to talk to me. You are so passionate. You are so committed. It is just lovely to hear and be part of that and have this conversation with you. What final words of wisdom? would you like to leave people with today? The only words of wisdom, if I have any, <laughs> would be about leading, which I just think I'm, I have such a huge passion about leading and really being able to listen to the people that you're leading, hear them, don't listen to respond, listen to hear them and make people feel like you care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive Deep, Climb High can do leadership in a world of calm.